This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Hey. You ever listen to stock radio? Ever listen to stock radio on Weeb? Uh-oh, that should have started the uh-oh. Let's try something else. Uh-oh, there we go. Oh. Hmm, this is not a good start. Possible technological issues. Have we heard the Fox Doc Radio? Fox Doc Radio. Fox Doc Radio. Welcome to this episode of Pot Stock Radio. I am the host, Eric Butts. Want to introduce my co-host. We've got our buddy KD in the house. Hey, how's it going, man? Cool. Nick and a new guest, Sweeney. Right? Are you going by Sweeney? Yes, sir. All right. Perfect, my man. Sweeney, a good guy to add to the team. So we got KD, our our guy on the ground, knowing what's going on for cannabis activism like no one else. Y'all been at the festivals in the front lines. That's right. Ken's a soldier. He's in the trenches. Right so and then, we, and then we got Nick and Sweeney who work in the industry. And uh, Sweeney also has a little bit of background, knowledge of money, and love of investing, including Bitcoin. So Absolutely. My son, Nick, a, a smart person, said I talked to another smart person who I think would be a good addition to Potstock Radio. Go invite him over, and here we are with Sweeney. So good to have you as a part of the show, man. Hell yeah, man. Happy to be here. So what's your your you know we know Kenny's the the activist. Nick is the admitted uh, user, and what do you call yourself? Consumer. You're the consumer. He's a consumer. Expert consumer. Expert consumer. Where do you fit in Sweeney in the uh, Potstock Radio? So I definitely say I'm like a kind of sore when it comes to like quality product. You know, I prefer knowing that the products that we get are clean, healthy, and you know, something that's medical grade. Okay. But besides that, I mean, I'm a full fledged supporter of everything cannabis. You know, once I found out that it wasn't something that was as bad as heroin and crack and everything else that's on the schedule one substance list, you yeah. know, I, I was convinced that there must be more to this. And, you know, I dove full fledged into it and I, uh, you know, I support cannabis every way. Got to the point of working in the industry as well. How'd you get into just, just busting your butt at other places, getting into the industry or did you go to school? So I, uh, originally went to college. I was at a local community college in, uh, South Jersey here. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty cool to, to just go to school and do the typical nine to five business, you know, degree and whatnot. Um, after the first year though, I realized it wasn't getting me anywhere and it wasn't what I was interested in. So I looked into Oaksterdam university, which is the, you know, as you know, the big cannabis university on the West coast, uh, they were the first of their kind started back in like 2006. Yeah. They were in Atlantic city a couple of years ago for like a, a week. 
week. So did you go to one of these week long, two week long, or did you go out to the full Oaksterdam? Yeah. So I, I read about the, the quick, you know, weekends and the two yeah. seminars that they would have, but I just felt like that wouldn't be enough to really drink in the knowledge that I Agreed. would need to hop into the industry, you know, full fledged. So I went to the school, you know, I enrolled, uh, I found out it was a 14 week program. So you'd go uh, twice a week for 14 weeks and it's just like college. I mean, I sat down in a yeah. regular room. I was probably the youngest person in each class, which was very refreshing. Huh. Cause, uh, I, I mean, wouldn't have thought that. Not at all, right? So the average age of the people in class were probably 44 to 45 years old. Really? Yeah. So it was awesome. To a get, lot of like, people, growers who were trying to get into the industry or just people from other businesses wanting to get out into cannabis. What, what did so you? It would surprise you, honestly. Like I met um, a woman named Tequila who was a physical Stripper. therapist. <laughs> yeah, right? No, she's like now. a 55 year old, sweetest woman I met in the whole class. She uh, was a physical therapist, had no cannabis background, no idea about the plant um, and got introduced to it by a friend of hers that was a medical patient. And she was, you know, blown away by the, the benefits and everything she learned. So she wanted to infuse a physical therapy program and a facility and combine it with the benefits of cannabis in California. So Genius. she uprooted her life from like uh, Illinois or Minnesota, wherever she lived and took off over there, went to school with me. And she's living out there now. God bless course. her. Hopefully she's you friends with her on Facebook or anything I'm, like checking in her number. She doesn't have a Facebook. She's a little, uh, too, a little right. Too old for that, Ooh, but, I don't you know how that business is going to work in yeah, Cali when you don't have a Facebook. Yeah, even. So Let me start there. She needs to let me know what that is so that we, can, uh, we can get her out there. Well, dude, good to have you as a part of the show. And I think you're going to add some awesome uh, financial background. Looking forward to your your take on Bitcoin in cannabis, Absolutely. which we're going to talk about either with guests or after guests, one or the other. So, all right, yeah. before we get started, I believe we've got our first guest, Hadley Ford, on hold. But real quick, just want to remind our listeners, Potstock Radio is here for educational and informational purposes only. We're not here to tell you specific companies to buy or sell or what to do with your money. We're here to add an element of due diligence that you wouldn't have without us. So just use us for that. In the end of the day, you're the one who hits buy or sell when you make trades. Know that. We're just here to help. All right. And uh, also want to talk a little bit about a contest we have going on. So we're working with Magical Butter to give away a Magical Butter 2.0, which I don't know if you guys have ever used Magical Butter Machine. It is the ultimate way to process flour, let's call it, whatever you want to process. You can do Bet, lavender. Bot, uh, botanical or botanical, botanical infuser in the market. No flour. doubt. And you can do anything with it. Magical Butter 2, which is the upgraded version, you can not only do your oil and your butter, but you can also now do tincture. So now Magical Butter does it all. And if you want to win a brand new Magical Butter machine, all you have to do is three simple things, really two simple things, and then follow up with letting us know. So follow us on any social media. You don't have to follow. You should follow us on everything if you want to be a part of Potstock Radio. But one of the three, Instagram, uh, Facebook, or Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Potstock Radio. On uh, Facebook. For proof. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no. Here's what we're going to do. Better than that. Uh, I'm going to make it easier than that. All you have to do is join either – follow us on Twitter. Join our Facebook page. By the way, you're going to get there and see there's only a limited – number of people there that's because i'm an idiot and didn't realize there was a difference between a group and a page so i've got 3500 people in a group but didn't realize that doesn't really help you on, on your page. page yeah so i got to convert those people over but so either uh you know join our our page like our page potstock radio nj 
or on Instagram. I believe it's still uh, Potstock Eric on Instagram, but whatever. One of those three. Follow us. Buy my book. So I just wrote a book called Buying High where I want to teach you what I teach you on Pot Stock Radio, which is not what stocks to buy, but just if you're a novice who realized, oh, we can invest in pot in the United States, I want you to read a little bit to get an understanding of it's not as simple as it sounds. It's not the green dream that we thought it was going to be, that when it became legal in states, we could just all get rich by investing in the companies that are producing the pot there. It, it just doesn't work that way. So I wrote a book. It's a quick read. It's 99 cents on Amazon, so no reason not to buy it. And it's 50 pages of me just giving you a quick rundown of what I would have wanted to understand myself before investing in pot stocks and what I think everyone should learn just before they open an account. So Buy my book for 99 cents, follow us on any of our social media platforms, and then just send an email to eric at Potstock Radio. I or one of my assistants will go through and see that you are a member. Yeah, we're going to have to need, need like a username just to be able to verify. Yeah, exactly. Tell us who you are and where you followed us and then the name that you bought the book under and then we'll enter you to win for 99 cents and five minutes of your time one of the coolest machines right one of the coolest machines that i paid hundreds of dollars for and would do again in a heartbeat so so that's how you win a magical butter machine with pot stock radio and now let's get to tonight's guest hadley ford to me one of the most respected guys in the sector and i'm not just saying that because he's our guest I will call a spade a spade, and tonight I say Hadley Ford, glad to have you on Potstock Radio. Oh, very happy to be here, and uh, I didn't know you had a book. I'm going to buy that book. I'm going to download it tonight. I just finished a book yesterday on the uh, Mexican drug cartels, so now I'm going to find out how to buy uh, how to buy stocks. You're you're already going to be way too far ahead of the game, Hadley, because really what I want to do teach people is way under your head let's call it you know oh, I, no. I, 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 I was telling someone today you know I've, I've been in the financial markets and you know operating healthcare companies and stuff for decades and decades I always go back to the basics you always can learn something going back to the basics every single time very important it doesn't matter what you're doing whether it's shooting foul shots or buying stocks Get to the basics. Yep. What people people don't understand, though, the basics of the OTC world is different than their basics of investing. So in my experience mm-hmm. from hosting this show for the last three and a half years, I've had so many people come up to me to just say, I want to invest in pot. Uh, I heard I know it's legal. I'm going to make so I've just went and bought all these companies because they're pot companies. And I'm like. I need you to understand that's not the right way to invest your money because, as I've said before, if you give your money to penny stocks, it gives you back pennies usually, not profit. <laughs> so that's what the book so is. True. It's just a, a, a beginner's knowledge and what you should know before you open an account and start putting your 401k money into what you think is the green rush. <laughs> Well, clear, clearly would have a part in anyone's portfolio, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my entire 401k into anything. <laughs> no, no doubt. No doubt. Especially some uh, companies that uh, yeah, I wouldn't want in my 401k because a lot of companies I'm just looking at on the short term if I am investing in U.S. companies. Although I'd love to hear your opinion on that because 
my understanding of Hadley Ford and Ianthus Capital is that what you guys really do is invest in the Canadian market to benefit U.S. markets. So give people listening just a little bit of a background of what Ianthus does and how you use Oh, absolutely. Sure. So uh, just a little bit of background from my perspective. I worked at Fidelity in the back half of the uh, 80s at Goldman Sachs, most of the 90s, started up a big healthcare company in the uh, 2000s. And then I was looking for for the next big growth opportunity. And uh, I got a phone call from an old uh, business associate of mine back from my Goldman days. And he said he'd found the next big thing. And this is a guy who'd uh, made some money in online travel, emerging telecom, virtual currency. So I'm expecting to hear ones and zeros. Instead, he says cannabis. And I laughed. And he said, why are you laughing? He said, cannabis is the next big growth opportunity. You've got an orderly transfer of $50 billion of revenue from a black market to a white market. And it's the, you know, it's the entrepreneurial dream. And I said, I'm laughing because my brother is already the largest provider of medical marijuana in New Mexico, and my sister is a licensed operator in the state of Vermont. It's kind of a family business. And he said, why aren't you in the family business? And I said, well, I don't really know a national scalable model. You can't sort of grow it in one state and move it to another state. You, you can't even trademark your, your name. Uh, I don't know how you scale that beyond just sort of a small region. And at the time, I was in New York, and there was no program in New York, and I wasn't going to move to Colorado and sort of pursue the cannabis piece. But he convinced me that we ought to uh, study the industry, so we traveled around the United States, and we determined two things. One was quite obvious. The second, I think, was a little more subtle and probably more important. The first was there's no institutional capital, no funds available for the cannabis entrepreneur in the usual avenues. And, you know, that's a fairly obvious piece. People have written a lot about it, but you're not going to go to Citibank and get a prime plus two loan to build out your greenhouse. The more subtle point was because the money wasn't flowing into that industry from the usual sources, you weren't getting the, the other camp followers to what you would see from that capital. You weren't getting the accountants, the lawyers, the consultants, the advisors that are usually there to help uh, entrepreneurs build great companies. So you have this strange situation where entrepreneurs were given a license, but they had no money and they had no infrastructure with which to build out their companies that you might find in a regular way business. So we thought, well, that's pretty straightforward. Both of us had raised a lot of money in our careers. We'll just raise a, a big fund and we'll put money to work and uh, sit on boards and have a grand old time. But the same reason the Citibank wasn't giving those entrepreneurs prime plus two loans, you weren't going to get Toronto teachers or CalPERS or any of your big institutional investors to give you a 20 or $30 million blank check into your cannabis fund. So we scratched our head for a little bit, and then we came across the Canadian public markets, which are really the only capital market, public or private, anywhere in the world that's shown a willingness to support the cannabis entrepreneur. Now, it's been Canadian operators and Canadian dollars, but there's about 20 public companies in Canada that have raised well in excess of a billion dollars. And uh, we thought we would be able to educate the Canadian investment community on the opportunity uh, to support the entrepreneurs here in the U.S. And that was the genesis of Ianthus. And what we've done since then is to create an operating company here in the U.S. and a public company in Canada for raising the money. And we've raised... 50 or 60 million Canadian dollars, and we've got operations in 
Vermont, New Mexico, Massachusetts, Colorado, and as of a couple of weeks ago in New York. And we're hoping to add a sixth state uh, sometime in the next month or so. And uh, hopefully we'll add a seventh and an eighth beyond that because there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to build uh, great businesses in today's market. And now Canadian companies, are they open and understanding of the fact that you're using Canadian markets to help build markets in the U.S.? Are they fans of that? Mm-hmm. Or? Well, it's actually, you know, the, it's actually an interesting question. The Canadian capital markets are probably three years ahead of where the U.S. markets are. And generally, you know, the U.S. Capital markets are typically the leaders in innovation, but have to have hats off uh, to the Canadians for this. Um, they are, are you know, within our uh, company, we probably have, I'd say, 20 or 25 institutional investors. Uh, institutional investors, someone who's managing funds for other people, um, so they have a fiduciary responsibility to make you know, good investments and do their diligence and do their work. That's completely the opposite of what you find in the United States. Very rare to find an institutional investor, you know, a Fidelity or a, a Wellington or someone like that who's going to invest in cannabis companies. But it's fairly common uh, in Canada, uh, and it's uh, you know it's a real process. It's a real market, and because they've got so much competition for the Canadian market, and there's a lot of public companies they actually welcome the opportunity to differentiate and diversify their portfolio by investing in some of the growth opportunities down here in the United States. And the companies in which they can invest in are fairly limited, right? You know, they're just not a lot of uh, uh, public companies that actually touch the leaf, as it were, uh, here in the U.S., and they find it to actually be quite a compelling opportunity. So, how many companies do you view in the U.S. as at least worth looking into? You know, the, let's say there's 300 companies. <laughs> That's is the number 10%? I always use. It's, 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 yeah. it's probably less than 10%. Um, you know, I I was somewhat surprised. You know, there's a couple of uh, companies that put together compendiums of uh, public companies that claim to be involved in the cannabis space, or at least have you know the word pot or marijuana or you know MMJ or cannabis in their name somewhere, yeah. um, and you know you quickly can go through that list and find out you know that at least eighty percent of them have nothing to do with cannabis, yeah. um, and then you can then you can start to go through the others and they're companies that have you know, failed in one direction or another or had limited success and then change your direction to some newfound cannabis business plan. So, you know, they can claim that they're in cannabis. But there's from really only a cannabis yeah. from, yeah. from energy to cannabis. It's like whatever exactly. you see a sector falling, all yeah. of a sudden those companies are becoming green. Yeah, no, so, exactly. So, there, you know, there, 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 you could probably count on, you know, two hands the number of companies that actually have management teams that have a viable business plan and are, you know, actually doing something that seems reasonable that are publicly traded. The issue you have in the United States is that, you know, because it's against the law from a federal perspective, you just don't have your best operators, uh, your, your smartest guys, the guys who created real stuff 
going public, right? Because they can't, uh, and it's you know, ridiculously difficult to do so. So, you know, your, your big operating companies in Colorado aren't going public. Your, your big branded product guys out of L.A. aren't going public. You know, they just, it just doesn't happen. Um, so, the, you know, the, opportun- the op- opportunity from a retail investor perspective in the U.S. to actually, you know, have the opportunity to invest in the growth is actually quite limited. So as Hadley Ford, uh, you know, someone who is making big decisions on where to invest money, talking to possible future <laughs> investors in cannabis, besides the first uh-huh. most important factor, I know it's always money follows management, but past mm-hmm. knowing the background of management, what mm-hmm. is most important to you in doing due diligence to determine whether a company is worth looking into or one of those probably 90% that you can just put to the side? Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to circle back. I know you said to jump over management, but I would say in cannabis, if it's important in any industry, it's twice as yeah. important in cannabis, right? Because you know, the, the, it's a really quite the rare individual who is experienced in both an operational piece and has cannabis uh, expertise, right? You know, almost any other industry you look at, you're going to find a Venn diagram overlap of people of content knowledge and business acumen. That's a, that's really a rarity. So you have to really do your homework on the team that you're getting in bed with, and especially because the assets are and the companies are sort of illiquid from a trading perspective. It's not a big viable M&A market. When when you partner with someone, you're going to be partnered for a long time. So you know, I, I, that, that's that is really kind of where we spend most of our time. You know, I think the second piece are you know fairly obvious components. How big is your addressable market? Um, how well positioned are the, the partners that you're going to work with. Um, then you just go down to the usual checklist that you would from any industry perspective, and you, you run your math, and you read your documents, and you make sure there's a good fit with the team that you're partnering with, and, and then you write a check and get married. So that's why I, did, I skipped over management, because I knew it would be, you know, of course, <laughs> easy. well, management is most important, but past that, like, debt, how important is debt uh, structure? How important... Yeah. Is share structure? How important are uh, you know any yeah. joint ventures that a company has? How far do you look there? Well, I'd say you know it, it, coming from a macro perspective, really the next level down is what is the regulatory structure and environment of the market you're going into because that that can make or break a company just go. based on that, right? If Huge. if you're in a state, yeah, if you're in a state that um, has a limited number of licenses, we don't have to be a particularly great operator to make a good living. Um, if you're in a state that has sort of an uncapped number of licenses, you know, then you have a different answer for that. If, if you're in a state that says there's X number of cultivators, but you know, 5X number of retailers, that's different dynamics. And then what type, you know, is it a not-for-profit state? Is it a for-profit state? What type of owners are you allowed to have? How much control can you uh, influence? You know, it's, it's such a new industry from a sort of a white market perspective that most of the states are still casting about for how they want to regulate it, you know, who they want in it, who they don't want in it, what sort of structures do they allow, do they not allow, what type of behavior do they allow, do they not allow – and, you know, that's a key component of this. So there's just, you know, some states uh, that we won't be in. Like, for instance, are you, are you falling under the protection of the Cole Memo? Are you falling under the protection of Rohrbacker Farr? 
if you're not today, you know, we're not going to be in the state. So we're not in California right now because they don't have state regs that are, where the ink is dry yet. We're not in Michigan right now because the state regs aren't in place yet. Um, some states that have uh, good regulations in place, like in Minnesota, have structured their program in such a manner that it's not really worth being in the state. Um, so, you know, that, that's an exceptionally important piece. Um, you know, other other components that we look at are really real estate. I mean, uh, you step back from that. You know, typically people say, don't you have to be an expert at cannabis? Is it, cannabis are kind of the table stakes to what's going on. If you're not good at cannabis, you're not going to be in the market, right? And right. maybe there was a time five or ten years ago where you could really say some guys were really bad at it, some guys are really good at it. You know, if you haven't been good at cannabis the last five or ten years, you're out of business already. So now what do you need to be good at? You need to be good at regulatory uh, uh, analysis. You need to be really good at lobbying, right? I mean, <laughs> there's always something wrong or can be improved with a program. You better have a line item for having a good relationship with your regulators and with your legislators. legislators. Um, real estate, exceptionally important. You know, it's the old retail game, location, location, location. You can't recreate a great location, especially with licensing and zoning and a lot of the NIMBY stuff you get in cannabis. If someone's got a good location, that, that could be as good as gold. Um, you know, basic corporate finance stuff. Have you set up your books and records uh, in, in a meaningful and good way? All simple stuff like accounting. Um, you know, we're a public company, so anyone that we partner with any, any of our operations needs to be auditable. You know, th- those are things that you typically wouldn't have to worry about in another industry that are uh, exceptionally important in yeah. cannabis. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you go into, yeah, you go into di- diligence, a widget company, you spend all your time on how many widgets can you sell? Why are people buying yeah. the widgets? What's your market? And you don't spend any time, yeah, you don't spend any time like checking their accounting system because you just assume that's going to be okay. The opposite's true here. I'm pretty damn sure you're going to be able to sell cannabis. But, you know, have you actually accounted for your leverage leases in an appropriate manner and filed 280E taxes correctly? Probably not. And those are important issues when we're doing our diligence. And you know, that's, that's what I think, you know, from a, a retail investment perspective, you know, people say, gee, who can we invest in? What can we invest in uh, to have uh, access to the growth in that market? You know, anyone could go make a private investment and do that type of work, but it's a lot of work, and you have to have a lot of acumen. We spent a lot of years developing that, and we do all that work for you. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we think we give uh, the average investor a leg up by investing with us. You do. You do, and Hadley, I, I hear you talk a lot about an oligopoly market. Explain mm-hmm. to people – what that means and you know it looks like some states you're in that's the situation but then you're in states like Mm -hmm. colorado new york and just Mm -hmm. wondering if that's a a a must situation for you or just something you look for as a huge benefit we look for it as a huge benefit you know I, i i call it an oligopoly my uh my pr people say happy don't use that word say barriers to entry um manifest themselves in different ways, right? There could be a limited number of licenses. For instance, in Vermont, um, you know, our operations there are one of four licensed operators. That state ultimately will become a full recreational market. Rand Corporation estimated for the state, that's a $100 million opportunity. 
We've all seen states go from medical to full rec. They typically use the existing infrastructure as the way to roll that out. That gives you a tremendous opportunity if you're one of the four licensed operators to influence and benefit when that occurs. So, you know, that's a, that's a barrier to entry, and it's probably the right decision from the Department of Safety's perspective. You've got proven operators. Let's roll it out incrementally. Let's not sort of just open up the floodgates. Let's see how the program goes, and then we'll let additional competition in later. So if you're one of the four license holders, you're in that process already. Um, if you go to a much more mature market, let's say New Mexico, where you've got you know 35-ish licenses, or even Colorado, where you've got sort of an unlimited number, um, we look for market leaders. We consider that to be a barrier to entry. Someone's proven they can capture share, hold share, uh, have a you know have a good location, uh, have customers, patients who uh, understand. Um, what, it, what that brand means and re, are recurring and come back, that's a defensible position as well. So we look, like, we look for both those opportunities. So in a, in a greenfield state opportunity, we look to see a limited license market. Uh, we think that reduces the, the risk of execution. So something like in New York, 10 licenses. It's a yeah. big state. Ultimately, the program will develop fully if you're one of the 10 license holders. You know, that's a pretty good place to be. Colorado, if you're in a ski town where there's a moratorium on licenses, you're one of four uh, storefronts and you've got a good location on the corner where the shuttle bus stops in front of your store, that's a good defensible position to be in. But we're, we're not that smart. We, just, we look for you know, fairly simple things, and because of the dearth of capital uh, in the marketplace, you know, prices are very compelling, and we know and our complete thesis, and I think this is, I should have bought this at the outset, if you're going to invest in this business, you have to have faith that this is going to become a regular way industry at some point, maybe a year, maybe three, maybe five, but at some point this is going to look like a regular business where you're going to have debt and bank accounts and you're going to have normal taxes and all that. That means that anything you invest today, if that's your thesis, will just increase in value based on the industry normalizing through time. You know, the tax, the, the weird tax situation will disappear. That'll be an increase in your, uh, in your free cash flow. Uh, leverage will come into the business, which will allow you to have levered returns on your equity. More buyers will come in, which will drive up the asset prices. So all that will occur as this becomes a more regular way business. So if you can find a defensible position today and you can buy it at a reasonable price, you're going to do all right in the long haul. And that's basically our thesis. And do you think it's time that will, uh, you know, make that transfer happen? Or do you think it's federal scheduling change or just a percentage of the money moving from the black market to the white market? I think it's all those things. You know, I just, I just think this is, uh, you know, pick, pick your metaphor, a rock rolling down a hill, a genie coming out of the bottle. You know, it's clear at this uh, juncture that uh, vast majority of American citizens and voters think that medical cannabis is a good and viable thing to have. Uh, I think we're you know well over 50% in any poll you look at uh, where people think full recreational is something that should be considered. I think politicians are lagging behind that, but you still have good support on both sides of the aisle. Matter of fact, in this day and age, probably one of the few things that Republicans and Democrats can agree on uh, uh, in the Senate and in the House. Um, and I just think it's, you know, it's just a matter of time. Uh, as always, you know, the laws will 
lagged a little bit people, but you know, ultimately we'll get there. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't deschedule of cannabis uh, during the Trump administration, although there's some wild card scenarios you can craft that might allow that to happen. Um, but I do think, you know, some point in the next, uh, uh, two election cycles, you probably have a, a pretty good cogent move towards descheduling of cannabis. And probably not this administration, but probably the next. Iantis already have a plan for that. And do you fear the larger companies being able to be involved in the industry, the Budweiser's, <laughs> the Philip Morris's? Or... Well, that's that is a that is a great question. You know, people always say to me, "Don't you?" fear Trump and Sessions and you know, all this. Yeah. And I say, yeah, I do. I fear that they're going to deschedule cannabis and <laughs> have a ton of competition. Not that they're uh, going to roll it back, is. but that they're going to... No, uh, no. There's, yeah, there's no way to roll it back. My bigger fear is that I open the New York Times tomorrow and says, Trump decriminalizes cannabis. And I go, oh, Jesus, now I've got to compete against Goldman Sachs. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's really the bigger fear. You know, I think right now there's just uh, such a limited number of companies and we're among them that actually have access to the capital to go out and build great operating businesses that, um, you know, it's really a race against the clock. How many, how many states can we operate in? How many great companies can we build in the next uh, 24 to 36 months uh, before, you know, you start to get the, uh, the InBevs and Philip Morris's of the world coming in, you know, cause at that juncture, we'd love to have them buy our business, right? So you, we want to be as big Next and viable as possible. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they come in with their checkbook open, they're going to have a choice, build or buy. And we want to be that big, juicy target, you know, when they come in and say, gee, I can go build a nationwide network or I can, uh, uh, we can buy Iantis and you know, be in you know, 13 states all at once. And that's, that's, that's what we're up against. If, if that, if that, happen tomorrow great you know we just want to buy us because we're in five states um but that's not as compelling to to our investors as us you know being in a dozen states when they have to make that decision and we are talking to hadley ford ceo of ianthus capital check him out on otc they're i-t-h-u-f and on the canadian exchange they are i-a-n and i want to talk more about ianthus but before i do that i want to go back to your history because you talked a little bit about uh, your family being in cannabis. So uh, mm-hmm. give us a little bit of the journey from cannabis to healthcare to investment banker to back to cannabis. <laughs> so first, sure, tell, us, sure, tell, sure. tell us the family relation. Like, first of all, were you uh, green friendly? Were you a smoker growing up as your family was in the industry? Or is that something that they got into after you grew up? Well, we have to go. We have to go way back to when I was about seven or eight years old. I remember coming down in the kitchen, and we had a small farm in Connecticut. Coming down to the kitchen, and my mom was just, you know, kind of apoplectic. She's like, "I can't believe this happened." I'm like, "What's wrong, mom?" She said, "The neighborhood kids had stolen her cannabis crop." <laughs> mom got mother's little helper taken from the town hoodlums. Exactly, oh, right. and yeah, you know, this is this is you know kind of the late '60s. She wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna be calling the cops to sort of say that the neighborhood kids had stolen her quarter acre of uh, uh, crop just before it was about to be harvested. But you know, it was it was something that uh, we all grew up around myself and three siblings, and 
you know, it was neither, you know, something that was expected or feared or you know, it was just something that yeah. people did. Another I, I wasn't, a, yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't a user myself, but, uh, you know, I won't speak out of school and many of my siblings were, my parents were, my aunt, yeah. my uncle, you know, it was just something we were around. Um, and then, you know, we all got scattered to different parts of the country growing up. My brother ended up in New Mexico, my sister in Vermont. I've got another brother up in Washington State. And I remember, you know, my my younger brother, Willie, was really the, the first to get involved in the business. He was he was quite a uh, talented um, uh, ad guy on, on the content side, very creative. Uh, and he's actually designed a whole bunch of uh, websites and logos. He actually came up with the name Iantis for us. Um, but, you know, there wasn't, you know, it was kind of the, the fast, uh, you know, the uh, the feast or famine of, of being in the uh, the creative world, and I just say like eight years ago, seven years ago, I can't remember the exact time. Um, we all got on the phone. My mom had a small trust; she was driving uh, capacity at the time, and we had uh, power of attorney for her. Um, and we all had a family phone call, and my brother Willie said, "Look, I I need twenty five grand, sort of ahead of my inheritance." to uh, apply for and build out uh, a license for cannabis, medical cannabis in New Mexico. And we're all like, all right, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) And and he sat down at his kitchen table and I think he filled out the application in pencil and he sent it in and he got one of the licenses. And, you know, you could have, you could have knocked him. Yeah. You could have knocked him off his kitchen chair when they called him up and said he'd gotten one. And it was a little bit, there was a movie years ago that, um, Robert Redford was in, I forget what it was, it was called, but they, they put him up to run for senator and he wins. And the final scene is him sitting on a bed looking up saying, now what? And yeah, that what was sort of my now? brother. Yeah, he's like, what do I do now? I didn't expect to win. And my brother had the same thought. He's like, well, what do I do now? I didn't expect to uh, win this license. But, you know, he did exactly what any cannabis entrepreneur would do. He, he bootstrapped, you know, he, he built something out with scrap. Yeah, yeah, you know, so he, he had the ticket and. You know, he he built it out with you know scrap lumber and plastic, and then he took the profits from that, and then he you know got drywall and air conditioners, and he took the profits from that, and he rented a building and took the profits from that, and he was always very good on the creative side and the customer service side from his past, and you know created created a good brand, and you know lo and behold he became the uh, the market share leader in the state from a medical perspective, and then I would say this would be about four years ago. Unfortunately, my uncle passed away, and we're all at the funeral, and we're all chatting with my brother about uh, cannabis and how the business is going. We're kind of making all the usual jokes about it, and then we all went back to our respective homes, and the very next day, my sister's up in Rutland, Vermont. She opens up the Rutland Tatler or whatever the newspaper is up there, and it says, Medical cannabis approved in Vermont. So she gets on the phone, calls my brother. brother's like, I can help you fill out the application in pencil. I'm, exactly. I'm... No, exactly, exactly. So you know, that's sort of step two in the Ford family pharmaceutical business. Um, and then you, you roll, roll forward from there. And uh, I got a phone call, let's say about three years ago, um, from my uh, now business partner, Randy Maslow. He and I had done a lot of business here back in the 90s. And, he was saying, you know, let's let's do this whole Ianthus thing, and uh, it kind of almost 
serendipitously, a little story out of school. I don't tell this piece very often, but it was pretty funny. Exactly the same time he called, my brother and sister were having a big argument because my brother not only had helped her with the application, but he had fronted her some cash to get the business up and going. And then his business took off at the same time. There had been some changes to the program. Patient counts were going through the roof. He needed that cash back for working capital. And, of course, she had already spent the cash on air conditioners and all this sort of stuff. And he's like, I can pay back sort of like monthly, but I can't give her the whole thing. So there's this family tension, and I got myself in the middle of it. And I was thinking, guys, we got to go to the brother. We got to go to the brother who knows how to get money. You got exactly. And so (laughs) I said, look, I can can figure this piece out. And then Randy and I put together Iantis, and then we did put that piece, we did put it together. We actually are investors uh, in both of those businesses, Vermont and New Mexico, as well as three other states. And that's kind of how the whole genesis uh, came about. Um, I, I must say the, uh, it, was, it was quite a transition for myself because, you know, while my brother and sister were off pursuing their careers that ultimately led into cannabis, I was uh, first on the investing side with Fidelity, then on the investment banking side with Goldman, and I did a little um, – content delivery network startup, which I sold and then went and ran the uh, tech group out of New York for Bank of America, both commercial investment banking. Then I started up this uh, big healthcare company in proton therapy, actually became the the world's leader in uh, proton therapy. And, um, you know, getting sort of bought back into the world of cannabis where I could see the opportunity. And I knew that Randy and I through Ianthus could uh, actually set something that would work telling people at cocktail parties in Manhattan that I was involved in cannabis was a little bit of a step. It took me, it took me yeah. about Even though your family, you had to be like, yeah. that, that, that story of mom would be like, look, what am I supposed to do? My mom, since I was eight years old, the family's entrenched. This is what I do. <laughs> exactly. It was still very hard to change the LinkedIn profile and say, oh, you're in cannabis. I remember my, yeah. my wife tells a story. She was out with a a bunch of friends for lunch or dinner or something, and they're all going around, how's this, how's that? And someone was saying, I heard Hadley started up a new business. With, what's he doing? And she, she said, oh, he's in the cannabis business. And there's this long silence at the table, and one woman looked over and said, oh, that sounds interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, word you know, you just it, throw in there when you don't know what else to say. That sounds interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. Everybody no, has exactly what it is. I would think everybody who gets into the cannabis industry has that situation, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, yeah. whether it's business people, mm-hmm. when you tell them like you, you are getting out of, Hey, I was an investment banker for Goldman Sachs. Now I'm in yeah. the cannabis industry. That's going to come across. <laughs> but really here's what I love about you. Hadley. You seem like the perfect guy to be here because your family was involved in cannabis, so you always just saw it as something accepted. You never had a slanted view one way or another towards it. Then you're not only an investment banker but ran a healthcare company that helped cure cancer. Then all circling back to helping people understand where to invest their money in cannabis seems like a perfect circle for Hadley Ford. I think so. I, I've never seen anything else like it. And it's, it's almost as if my entire career up to this point was created to be in the company and in the job I am in now. Like you, you, can't, you, you could not have scripted sort of a better background for doing that. You couldn't have scripted a better background for my partners to be in it. It's just, it was just kind of like a, a, a 
the perfect storm of opportunity where my old partner, Randy, called me out of the blue. We've got the CFO, Julius Kalsevich, who was working at a, a well-respected merchant bank that you know, sort of bit off more than it could chew in the energy space and was looking to do something. I mean, we, we just sort of at every position just have these tremendously talented people that randomly were available and came together all at the same same time to do something special in cannabis. And it's really it's really unique. I, I couldn't have set out to do what we did. It just kind of had to have happened in that serendipitous fashion, and thank God it did because it's a lot of fun, I'll tell you that. So you've put together multimillion-dollar deals uh, for mm-hmm. Bank of America, for Goldman Sachs. What is different about putting together deals in this space that you didn't expect? Like not the normal, well, money just didn't flow into cannabis. What are the things that you're surprised either on positive or negative sides that's different about capital raised in cannabis compared to typical uh, deals that are put together? You know, I think there's a lot more sand in the gears, right? I mean, the, the, the usual... Um, advisors that you work with to get a deal done. You know, if you're doing a, a, a multi-billion-dollar deal for a cable acquisition or a, uh, an online service or something like that, you know, they're going to have good accountants and good lawyers and um, you know, advisors who can, you know, once the business deal has been agreed to, can actually move all those pieces forward. You know, we we we've had. Um, you know, just, 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 I don't know, like, like the dog's breakfast of advisors on our side of the table, which just makes it exceedingly hard to actually get deals done because the, the usual language and assumptions and knowledge base that actually allow deals to happen in a quick and expedited fashion, you can't just expect that it's going to be there, right? You know, just it's just not there. You know, a lot of people have, competent lawyers, but, you know, they just don't know their way around an operating agreement or around a tax structure, or they haven't even really read the regulations of their own state. So there's a, there's a whole educational component that you have to be ready and willing and able to do alongside the usual deal dynamics that you'd have, you know, attendant to any of the business decisions you're making. And that, that's really been the and, you know, I guess to a certain extent we identified that as one of the opportunities going into the business. So I don't – I wouldn't say that it's a complete surprise, but it is one of the more um, um, you know, frustrating is the wrong word. But just just one of the, the things that you have to deal with in an industry that you wouldn't typically have to deal with in another industry. Yeah. Anything awesome about it that you've seen that you were surprised with? Oh, just the yeah, the raw entrepreneurial love that people have for the business, right? I mean, most of the people who are in the business are in it because you know they've got a passion for the plant or the business or the opportunity. So you're just seeing kind of those bright-eyed entrepreneurs that um, you know is just exceptionally exciting. Um, and you know the, the the guys that we really like to work with are the ones that recognize that where their strengths and our strengths pick up and vice versa. And it makes great partnerships. And you know, that that's been, uh, that's been a lot of fun. And I can imagine those, you know, 
bright-eyed entrepreneurs are good and bad because, like you said, they have a passion for the plant and helping people and producing the product. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, like you said, they're great at certain aspects but might not have put yeah. together the team to win in the end. And that's where you can come in and not only counsel mm-hmm. but help them fix problems if they're halfway the right people and just need the other 50%. At, so. at, absolutely. And then sort of the – the best entrepreneurs who want to grow with their company recognize that, you know, it's They're coachable. It's it's yeah, it's coachable. It's the old saw, you know, you can, you know, my partner, Randy puts it best. He says, um, you can, uh, you can have control and, um, you know, not be rich or you can, you know, share control and be rich. So it's your choice, which, you know, which would you, which would you prefer? Would you like to be, wildly successful and pursue your dreams, you know, you got to share control because there's a lot of people who can bring a lot of value to the table, but you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be able to let people make decisions. I think I read something recently that Bill Gates said that I thought was exceptionally insightful about that. When he started Microsoft, he said like the smartest guys he knew were coders. Like everyone, like, so he just thought, I'm just going to put a coder in charge of everything. Every spot, right. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to put like this really smart coding guy in charge of marketing. I'm with this really smart coding woman in charge of HR, you know, and just sort of like, I'm going to just put coder. And he said, you realize it's like, you know what? That doesn't really work. Yeah. You know, Half you, of my C-level management people have Asperger's <laughs> because they're just. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, it's that aspect to, to work with an entrepreneur who, you know, who says, uh, gee, I really have a blind spot here. I could use some help there. But, you know, from our perspective, we want to find entrepreneurs who have a great skill set around some aspect of the business. And then we'll, we'll build from that. You know, cause we, we can bring a lot of, operational expertise and oversight um, to uh, anyone's business plan. And you know, that's what we do. We, you know, our original plan and thought was it, we'd look like a publicly traded private equity company. And now we've actually discovered that we actually have to be a real operating company, right? There's just, there's so much opportunity. It's going to scale so quickly that we really have to roll our sleeves up. We have to have a team that's willing to roll its sleeves up and just be shoulder to shoulder with our, our operators and, you know, making sure these are wide, widely successful uh, companies. And I know you mentioned the five states that you're in, which are Vermont, New Mexico, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, Colorado, now New York, with other ones in the possible future. So I don't know how much mm-hmm. you can say about at least what states you're really looking close at, and I'd also like to get your mm-hmm. opinion on Nevada, because to me it was always mm-hmm. like when Nevada becomes legal – who cares about Amsterdam anymore? Vegas is legal. <laughs> so, but, but then yeah, you mentioned a state yeah. like California, which seems like a great state, but then I get your reasoning for not wanting to be there. You know, we're in all the, the usual places, and there's some you know, public research out and whatnot. So you know, Florida clearly is a great market, um, and there's a process underway right now and uh, with the current license holders trying to get financed. So you know, we're in discussions in Florida, and we like the market a lot, and we don't have uh, you know anything to report yet. But uh, it's a market we're very interested in. Um, other markets that we're in, you know, kind of the, the usual suspects you could imagine. So uh, we've uh, been in discussions in Arizona, Oregon, uh, Washington, Nevada. You know, we like the state. I think 
you know, the run up to full rec, people's valuation expectations were uh, probably higher than we were comfortable with. And, you know, we don't need to be first. We're, you know, we're um, uh, willing to be patient. We, we like to be the uh, settler more so than the pioneer. Um, and, you know, if you let markets settle out a little bit, you can make a, a much better judgment and assessment of who the winners and losers are and, you know, essentially get a better risk-adjusted return on uh, uh, your operations than you would if you sort of went blindly in right up front. Um, you know, I think once uh, once the ink is dry in the state regs in California, we absolutely will be in that state. Um, you know, we talk with people, I'd say, two or three times a week in California. I had a hour-long conversation today, so we keep our pulse on what's going on and who's there and uh, will be in the state. Um, you know, same with Michigan. You know, I think once the state regs are in place there, we'll be very interested. Uh, obviously, there's a process in Ohio underway right now. We'll see who gets awarded uh, uh, licenses there. You know, pretty, pretty much, you know, you could you just go around the United States if there's a good large market with uh, a broad list of ingestion methods and broad list of indications, it's going to be a market that we're interested in. So, Hadley, what's your opinion on states like Pennsylvania and New Jersey? Um, we're in discussions with a couple of players in Pennsylvania. You know, I think the, the, the program will develop over time. It's, you know, it's not that compelling a program from our perspective to date. But, again, go back to our original thesis that the entire industry will become a regular way industry. If you can partner with someone who has reasonable expectations for – the value of their license. We'd love to be in Pennsylvania. We think New Jersey is going to be a great state. You know, Christy, you know, I, I always found it somewhat ironic that he would say, I'm absolutely positively against cannabis. And yet in his own state, he had a program. Now he's, I think worked his politics to keep it as, you know, tried to kill it in the, in the cradle as it were. But we think once yeah. he's gone, the, you know, the state uh, will be a much better, uh, environment for cannabis and it's right next door to our headquarters so we absolutely would love to be in New Jersey uh, in discussions with a couple of the players there you know we get for you know for better or for worse just given you know, the fact that I do a number of interviews like this I'm, I spend half my time marketing um, we get a lot of inbound calls so there's probably not a state you're dating everybody you're like the bachelor yeah, You're yeah. meeting everybody, just figuring out which ones you're going to give this freaking rose to. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and, and sort of the the factor that sort of the, the the gating factor for us is really just our own internal resources, and to a certain extent, external resources. You know, we work with a certain number of accountants and law firms, and they've got limited resources. You now, I think if we had sort of unlimited access to internal external resources you know you could you could easily you know announce something every week you know there, there's just a lot of opportunity um but you know we we have a, a fiduciary responsibility to keep the the wheels on the track uh so that's what we do you know we'll we'll grow prudently we'll add resources internally externally in a manner that allow us to operate our uh, companies and uh, a good manner, you know, digest what we have. And you know, we've done a lot uh, and will have done a lot this by the end of this year 
and you have to make sure that you develop those uh, those companies you know correctly and then then move on to the next uh, next pieces of the puzzle all right so some good stuff to talk about with Iantis capital tell me what has driven revenues to quadruple in the last year and then give me an idea of just where you see the company in the next 12 to 24 months sure well yeah, we 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 are an operating company right with with operations in multiple states so our, our revenue actually even more so our our cash flow there's some strange things where we can't actually put all the revenue in our income statement from an accounting perspective just given some of the state structures we have to do and some of the uh the rules going you know from gap to ifrs but you know we're we're able to grow our cash flow uh, just by improving the business. So you know clearly the more patients you have or more customers in recreational markets, uh, the more that's going to drive. And you know to you know just the, the base growth of the market as we shift from black to white is north of 30% here in the U.S. And if you're in any of the uh, greenfield markets you know, like in Massachusetts or in New York or Florida. You know the growth that you're going to have from a revenue perspective there is going to be geometric for the next you know three four five years and then it'll flatten out and look more like a, a regular growth business and that's what's really is going to drive us in any given quarter um, now we're in Massachusetts we've got a great location uh, in the city of Boston likely to announce some uh, other uh, pretty good actually very good locations in the next uh, 60 days or so um, and you know that starts from a base of zero. So, you know, if if we add uh, 10, 20, 30 million of revenue there, that's going to be some pretty good growth over the next couple of years. Uh, similar to New York, right? Our base currently is zero, uh, but you know we look to add 20, 30, 40 million of revenue over the next couple of years. There, that's going to show some great growth. So, you know, it's no different than any other business. When you start with a greenfield, you got to get your grow up, got to get your processing and dispensary locations out there. And then you're going to get uh, good growth, take care of, you know, put out good product on the shelf, take care of your customer and patients, and you're going to get the revenue growth that you deserve. And more mature markets um, like uh, Colorado and New Mexico, California, you know, we think the opportunity isn't just, you know, straight same store growth, but uh, an actual opportunity to roll stuff up. You know, Colorado, for instance, You've got 80% of the market are single mom and pop stores. Yeah, that's a real opportunity to go in and say, hey, we can provide uh, a roll-up vehicle for all of those operators to come together, eliminate uh, costs from a back office perspective, eliminate duplicative grows and uh, processing, and have some really great revenue growth size and scale. You can do that. In states like Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California, um, any mature market that that capability exists, and then we've got both the access to the cash and we have a public currency that I think a lot of entrepreneurs will find compelling, both from the ability to defer their taxes into the future, but also to watch the uh, uh, the benefits of their revenues being capitalized in a public market rather than a private market environment. So I would say over the next you know, kind of 12 to 24 months, you'll see us with great growth in greenfield markets like Massachusetts, New York, and Florida. And I think you'll see us begin to roll up more mature markets like uh, uh, New Mexico, California, Oregon, 
Uh, hopefully Colorado, you know, there's some regulatory stuff there that makes it a little more problematic, but, you know, I do think we'll be able to be active there through time as well. So we, we think, we think there's an absolute tremendous opportunity. There's no reason that, um, you know, Iantis in two years couldn't have hundreds of billions, if not sort of access to billions of dollars of revenue. It is, uh, it's that, that is it. It's that an exciting that market, and there's that type of opportunity that exists out there. Hadley, you seem like the right guy to take advantage of the opportunity. <laughs> so uh, last question for you on banking, sure. you know, on banking with cannabis. You know, besides the federal schedule getting changed, do you see anything that's opening up, uh, you know, not just funds that entrepreneurs need, but just the transfer of funds in cannabis. And also what are your thoughts on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as it relates to cannabis? Sure. So, you know, banking's an issue. And I'm yeah. just talking sort of flow, flow banking, you know, like your ability to pay your vendors, payroll, you know, savings, sure. checking, things like that. It's an issue, right? I mean, everyone knows there's not a lot of banks that do it. The banks that do it, I think, rightfully so, charge more, you know, supply and demand. Yep. Um, but it's not it's not impossible. You know, every state we're in, we've got a bank account. Um, you know, we've lost a bank a couple of times, which isn't pleasant, but you deal with it. I think that will change through time. You know, I think uh, um, it'll be gradual. I don't think you're going to see Bank of America or Citibank doing it anytime soon, but I do think a lot of your community banks and state charter banks will get more comfortable with it. Um and you deal with it. Uh, it's a, just an unfortunate fact of uh, the business, and uh, unfortunately, it keeps prices high because you got to pay stuff to banks, and then you got to pass that on. Um, but we'll get through that. You know, I think it'll improve. Um, you know, I think the idea of any of the crypto coin, Bitcoin, like that. You know, they're they're too volatile really to be uh, perceived or used as currencies. You're not, you know, you're not going to post the price of a gram in Bitcoin because you know it could be. 30% higher, 30% lower than you really want to sell it for, you know, between the morning and the afternoon. But I think is a, is a, um, you know, kind of a secure form of uh, uh, store of wealth or transfer of uh, uh, wealth. I think it's fine. You know, I actually own a couple of Bitcoins myself. Uh, just because I could see how it would work. But until there's stability in the volatility of what it's worth, I don't really see it as a way to solve the currency problem, i.e., I'm going to list my prices and that, and people are going to come in and buy my products with Bitcoins. You know, there may be – right, just, just too, too difficult today. Now, there's some solution sets out there, and as a matter of fact, my partner Randy is an investor in seven or eight of these Bitcoin companies, and one of his partners from one of his old businesses is one of the leaders in Bitcoin. So we keep – a a very sharp eye on it. And if you know someone comes up with a way to reduce the volatility around Bitcoin, no reason you couldn't have it uh, sort of be the, uh, the, uh, the currency of the future for uh, really anything. Um, well, it would work for cannabis or any other component. And actually, I'll, I'll take a quick aside down currency row here. I will say uh, it's somewhat bizarre to me that our government actually has control over the currency. Now, they've been in control of it for so long, since the early 1900s, that people just think that's what governments do. 
But for hundreds, if not thousands of years prior to that, governments didn't control currency. U.S. government didn't. They didn't. There wasn't a centralized bank. They had you know, all sorts of different currencies here in the U.S. up until when we get the central bank, 1912 or something like that. Um, it would be as if we be as if we ceded control to the government to make all our cell phones, or we said to the government, "You're going to make all of our laptops or." Um, you know, MP3 players or whatever. You just would never do that. So why would we do that? I can tell you, once you let the government do that, they would do it forever as they've done with our currency. Once you give them the ability to do it, what happens when the government controls 100% of something? You get a shitty product, and that's why our, <laughs> our cash is a shitty product. It's, you know, we've got inflation. There's not a lot of in, innovation around it. You know what the num- you know what the number one currency is in Kenya right now? Cell phone minutes. The government has no control of it. Eighty percent of transactions are done with cell phone minutes. <laughs> and it's crazy, uh, yet at the same time not surprising because when you're there, probably nothing more important than to be able to make a call. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's, so I you know I applaud you know cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. I think you'll have much more. Um, creativity around currency or have much better solutions. You won't have any inflation around it. You know, the well, issue needs to be solved. Yeah. And you yeah. see it too, like you, you talk about in Africa, that person doesn't have a bank account, but they, if they had access to a cell phone, then they could own a cryptocurrency yeah. and they could transfer money and make things happen. So I think exactly. in those third world countries, you're going to see it become the norm before you really see it be a way that people in areas where they have access to banks are going to be banking. Yeah. Well, and that's, but that's why you see sort of the advent of something that's a better store and less volatile. Like why cell phone minutes? Well, cause there's an accepted market in that. And people, people know yeah. that if they have a cell phone minute today, it's going to be worth a cell phone minute tomorrow. So yeah. there's actually no inflation or volatility around it. Like, like I'm glad my Bitcoins went up in value. They just as easy could have gone down and down in value. Yeah, sure. it's not a great store of wealth. If I keep something in dollars, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's worth a dollar today. It's worth 5% less or whatever the inflation is a year from now, but I'm pretty certain what it's going to be gonna worth. Be I can make plans with it. It's going to be a dollar. That's the same thing with cell phone minutes in Kenya. But, but like, okay, what, Hadley, cell phone minutes worth a cell phone minute. <laughs> but Hadley, if you own a dollar today, there's not much yeah. chance next year it's going to be worth $2. So if you really do look at your Bitcoin as a possible investment instead of just currency, but I do get what you're yeah. saying. It could also be worth what it was worth in 2013 in 2021. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's basically it's a, it's a speculative, uh, you know, it's like investing in gold. Now, you know, would, would we use gold as a currency? I suppose we could. You know, it's, it tends to be more volatile than dollars. You can really use anything as a currency, but it has to you know, meet certain parameters, a store of wealth, low volatility, accept, accepted. You have to you know, have low – you don't want to be able to counterfeit it easily. And that's where Bitcoin is really good, right? I mean, you can't, you can't counterfeit these things. Um, so – and there's, there's a, you know, a, way to, a way to track it. Uh, so it is a, um, it's pretty good from a, you know, a basis that it could turn into a currency. Yep. Um, but but it's uh, you know it's all I, I would expect to see those two worlds come together at some point. And the two, the two industries are growing forward. 
Hadley Ford, CEO of Ianthus Capital. Really a pleasure to have you on. Check out their website at ianthuscapital.com. Get to know the management team, uh, what they invest in, their portfolio, and uh, really did enjoy having you on, Hadley. Hope to have you on as next uh, couple of states become possibilities come back on pot stock radio talk about what ianthus is doing as we get to the end of 2017 i would love to do that thanks for having me on always a pleasure thanks all right hadley ford ceo ianthus capital we are going to go to our next guest lewis chiron canada investor magazine uh, i'm sorry cannabis investor magazine but the canadian version so let's go to lewis Appreciate Hello, you thank you for having on me there. on tonight. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Just want a big thank you for uh, some Southern hospitality and having me on your show tonight. No sweat. Always good to have our brothers up north. It's and weird being called Southern. Yeah. It is, right? <laughs> southern. Well, southern. yeah, up here, everything, everything south to us. <laughs> exactly. So tell us why you decided to start a Canada Canadian uh, Canadian cannabis investment magazine. Well, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a well. Let me start over. There's a U.S. Go edition, ahead. which is Canada Investor Magazine, and the website's CanadaInvestorMag.com, and it's been around for over a year. And I've been writing for that magazine, the U.S. edition, since its second issue. Okay. And speaking to the publisher throughout the time, we thought Canada would be ripe for its own edition. And he asked me if I could be the managing editor for it. And I, I jumped on the opportunity. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's been challenging in some ways, but I think it's very rewarding. I'm quite passionate about the industry and the opportunities it provides for our retail investors, especially right, so, uh, the Canadian industry. So first, tell us what got you into cannabis investing? Are you an investor yourself? Uh... Yeah, I, I do invest. Um, not, a whole, not a whole lot. But what got me into it was I was trying to find what that next industry would be. It's been a long time since, you know, .com and so forth. What could be the next one? It was a few years ago. And I noticed that the Canadian government back then was legalizing more and more medical licenses very slowly. And then our last election, the Liberal Party was running on legalizing it. And at that, at that moment, I said, I'm going to start researching more. And I bought a few shares of a few companies at that time. And sure enough, the Prime Minister, well, at the time, Pierre, uh, Pierre that's the dad, Justin Trudeau, he, mm-hmm. he won the election. And sure enough, he's carrying out with that promise to legalized marijuana in Canada with an expected date of July 1st. Uh, and, you know, the hemp and cannabis industry globally, some people are throwing around a total of, you know, upwards of hundreds of billions of dollars of valuation, you know, including textiles and building materials on the hemp side. And this is a rare opportunity where Canada is considered the global leader and was certainly the first amongst the G7 to introduce legislation to legalize it recreationally on a nationwide scale. So I, I really wanted to get in from the beginning, writing about it, helping others, and, and you know, hopefully you know, may, you know, do, myself doing well from it. Sure. It is very exciting, to be honest. 
It is exciting. So when people look at your magazine, because I see that you're talking about companies that are publicly traded on the Canadian market, are they companies that you're writing for? Is that like you're writing an article for that company, or is that totally unbiased? Oh, totally unbiased. No one has approached me. Well, one company has. I won't say who they are, and I declined them. I write about trends. I write about strategies. I write about the sector, the industry, as do the other writers. And they're not editorials. There's no compensation directly or in kind, nor are we told who to write about. We just write a story that makes sense at the time, and we look for companies that fit the story, the article. And, And it's all content, and nope, there's no paid promotion. We're not influencers. We're not stock promoters. We're all independent and, you know, we're accountants, we're lawyers, uh, we have CFPs, we have a technical analyst, a specialist, and those are our writers. And we have some medical writers coming on board in the next few months as well. So we're very excited and it's totally unbiased and neutral. That's good to know because I'm looking at it and it looked like some of the companies you were writing about, it looked like you were writing, you know, about them for them, but it's good to know that you're just giving an unbiased opinion of these companies. Oh, oh absolutely. And, I'm a, I, I am an accountant in Canada, and I would disclose if I was receiving compensation for any of these companies. And I'll do a case study, and I'll write about a certain company as a case study, and I have no idea how that company may or may not do, and I truly don't recommend it, nor did that company offer input or pre-screen what I wrote or guide me on how to write it. I just pick what I think is a good company to talk about at that time. And you've got the 25 top Canadian companies that you're following. Tell us the ones that you're most excited about. Oh, it's a tough one because the entire industry seems to change on a dime. Um, Obviously, Canopy Growth is the world's largest legal marijuana producer. They They have international expansion, whether it's Australia you know, Germany. Chuck was going to be the guest last show. And unfortunately some stuff hit the fan right before he was going to be on. So, Oh, and, and Chuck's actually the, he was formerly with canopy growth. He's um, he left and he was with Aurora for a while. And of course, yep. canopy Wheaton is where he is now. And I think he's at the world series of poker right now. Actually, I think it's where he is right oh, yeah. now. <laughs> at, least, at least on Twitter, that's where he says he is. But uh, not right. Bruce Linton is uh, yeah. Bruce Linton is with uh, Canopy Growth. So you have Canopy Growth. You know they probably vote forty percent of the current medical market share, and they're you know they've often said they want to be the Amazon of uh, of legal cannabis in Canada, and their expansion is with Ontario, which is the most populous province in Ontario in Canada. They're, they've now got a hemp company. Uh, they're expanding in Alberta, I believe Saskatchewan, uh, the, the East Coast, New Brunswick, uh, Quebec. They're trying to get a foothold in multiple provinces. Uh, from there, you have, um, say, Aurora Cannabis. Aurora Cannabis, just today, was uplisted to the Toronto Stock Exchange, as is weed with canopy growth. And uh, you know that's one of the world's you know, preeminent stock exchanges. Aurora has also got a, a presence in Germany. Um, they have over 16,000 medical patients right now, and they're actually building. It's very exciting. The world's most advanced indoor greenhouse operation at the Edmonton International Airport. So right at the airport with this giant grow operation in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, then you have Afria, 
which is located in Ontario. Vic James, Vic Newfield, sorry, is the uh, CEO of Afria. Vic is the one you may have heard Jameson Vitamins. Well, that was he was CEO of that company. So it went from you know penny stock to a multi-billion-dollar international stock when he finally uh, moved on from it, and he is now the CEO of Afria. Afria is a is a complicated one. They own invest strategic investments in companies such as Canada Royalty. Canada Royalty, not dissimilar to Ianthus, your last company, has a number of strategic investments throughout the United States and in Canada. Uh, Afria has a strategic investment in a company called Tetra Biopharma, uh, ticker is TBP in Canada. Um, and and you know, it's on the OTC. All these companies are on the OTC as well. So your yeah. American listeners can actually Google them and look up the OTC tickers. Um, Tetra Biopharma has some drugs going for clinical one and three level trials soon. So that's another exciting one that Afria is in. And Afria tends to have a lot of our heroes, our veterans, as patients. So it's, it's pretty exciting. They're also a a low-cost producer, and uh, they've had positive EBITDA. Uh, from there, you get other big ones like MedRelief and uh, Canamed, and MedRelief had positive uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, EBITDA. Uh, they're also on the TSX, as is Canamed. There's all kinds. Um, on the lower dollar range, I, I like um, companies, and I said this in May. I actually went to a, an, expo, you know, an expert panel on the board, and, you know, people, investors are paying a lot of money to be there and at the breakfast table. And the consensus among the panel was maybe try to avoid investing in shares of companies that have not received a license to produce yet. Very risky. Put your money. Yeah, in why place. risk it when there's already exactly. companies actually producing? Why risk what Health Canada is going to do? Exactly. And I kind of swallowed my egg very hard at that moment at breakfast because I was halfway through an article, which is in the current magazine, the May issue, or I guess our last magazine, where I said one strategy you could look at is investing in these late-stage applicants. They don't have their license yet, but the share prices are very low, and it's overall a bearish market, so it wouldn't take much for a small bump. And I'm like, do I backtrack from that article? What do I do? But I still proceeded with it, and that issue came out on May 25th, the very next day on May 26th, like I said to you when the conversation started, the entire industry can change on a dime. Health yeah. Canada announced it's going to streamline the process and fast-track those applicants. And some of the companies I mentioned, like MYM Nutraceuticals, went from $0.20 yeah. cents to, I think, $0.93. Cents. Yeah. Uh, TerraSend just got their uh, license today from Health Canada, and it, I think it's up 8 or 9% today alone. And uh, there's a few others like Puff Ventures, Two Leaf Medicine. And people have asked me, how did we know at CanInvestor Health Canada was going to do that? Because the timing is beyond coincidence. And our answer is just everything points to there will be not enough supply for the demand when recreational comes out. July. The only way to increase the supply is to fast track the application process. But you still and would have had fact- to know. Which companies were actually going to be able to go through not just getting a license, but then being able to produce? Because correct me if I'm wrong, there's been a few companies that got a license, but then could never get through the Health Canada process to get the. Oh, of course, no, no, absolutely, it, it is. It is a crack shoot. That's not like the penny stock. Right, doesn't mean their stock's not going to shoot thirty cents in a day, and wouldn't be a good investment to get in and out of. So I hear you. 
Correct. There's two, there's two perspectives. You can be long on the industry, and you can be long on individual companies. Uh, take Aurora Cannabis, for example. So you're long on Aurora Cannabis. That doesn't mean you cannot take a short-term perspective on other companies that look like through technical analysis okay. or other tools, they're going to pop. And that's a good way to actually make money, a good ROI, or preserve your capital at the worst-case scenario during a bearish market such as we have now. And you can do that in Canada. In the United States, there are so f- – I don't know your opinion on our market, but there's so few percentage of the companies that are legitimate and worth investing in that that strategy falls short. You know, anything exactly. like, Staying long usually falls short when you're investing in U.S. OTC companies. Oh, exactly. And I, you know, I don't want to critique the OTC markets too much, but I obviously share those concerns. And that's the benefit, I think, of the Canadian companies. Not only do they all trade on national stock exchanges in Canada, whether it's the TSX, the TSX Venture, or the Canadian Securities Exchange, these are national stock exchanges with obviously higher reporting criteria and requirements, but they have the OTC tickers as well. And that allows Americans, even though it's an OTC ticker, the same risk isn't there because it's the same shares, of course, as the Canadian corporation. And, and that's an added benefit. Um, and there's other companies, too, that you know, don't touch the plant. And you know, there's one called Lexaria uh, Biosciences. You've had them on. Patent- Pardon me? We've had them on as a guest, Lexaria. Okay, yeah. Um, Brent, right? Uh, John so. or Chris Bunker. Chris Bunker or John Doherty, Bunker. correct? You got it. Chris yep. Bunker. Yeah, that Chris. I had, to, I had to go through my memory for a second. And see, Lexaria is very exciting because they have joint ventures with uh, a couple companies looking at you know, bioavailability and uh, other, other, the, uh, other technology. They have customers, uh, clients in the States and in Canada. But they've also got, of course, a, a partnership with, with the government of Canada, or a national research council. That's a, you know, a government partnership where they're looking at you know, the effectiveness at different dosage levels of the bioavailability of CBD tablets. And, and you know, that's an exciting company to watch, I believe. I don't know how it will do, obviously, but it's one to watch. It's exciting technology, and with a government partnership contract, it's obviously being looked at seriously by, by a national government. So how do you see the whole market shifting as we get closer to July of 2018? You know, we don't we don't really understand down here in the United States what you guys are doing in Canada, but then when I read you're allowing the provinces to control the prices, uh, how are companies <laughs> going to operate in a whole country when provinces are making the rules individually? And it's interesting. I'm trying to touch on that in my next article in the August issue. Um, it's it's as simple as it is complicated. So for your <laughs> listeners who may not be aware it's of so how Canada is structured, it's well, so simple but complicated. It is <laughs> provinces, and we have provinces and territories. And just keep it simple. Just assume they're similar to the states. Yep. So what Canada has decided to do is a supply management approach, where the grant licenses and each license, of course, has so much kilograms you know you can produce and that's how you get into this whole shortage of supply because you know the licenses are out there now as you were saying part of the legislation which isn't finalized yet they're still accepting uh, public feedback until august 19th i believe but so a lot could happen that the date could change our senate could you know recommend changes so who knows it could be changes yeah. but let's assume yeah. july 1st 2018 let's let's go with that the um 
the provinces have been given control over demand. The minimum age cannot be less than 19, but it can be greater than 19. The distribution system, will it be storefront dispensaries, such as British Columbia is looking at, yeah. or will it be government-owned and operated stores? Uh. You know, like a, which is what Ontario, the most populous country, is a country province is looking at, or anything in between. There could be direct mail, freight from licensed producers. Yeah. It's going to be a hodgepodge, mixed match in different provinces, and the provinces can control and restrict to a degree what comes in from other provinces, which is now why you see some of these licensed producers, such as Kronos or uh, you know, uh, Canopy Growth, as I mentioned, they're opening up, expanding into other provinces to ensure they have that foothold, because who knows That's what else going to ask. Will they need like brick and mortar in each of the province, provinces to be able to sell in that province to be able to distribute? We don't, we don't know yet. Um, so to be a company, imagine a mail, company well, direct, to figure that out. Yeah, and direct mail is an option too. That's, that's an option they're allowing, and they may look at pharmacy distribution and so forth. So if it's direct mail, obviously you can – you know, mail it, registered mail anywhere in Canada, but then the cost increases compared to locally produced. And, you know, there, there are some pretty big producers already in most provinces. And in British Columbia, you have In the Zone, you have um, Whistler uh, Medical, both are part, one's, In the Zone's fully owned by Kronos Group, and the other one's partly owned. You have Tilray, which is wholly owned by Privateer Holdings out of America. So there's one large American owned establishment in Canada. And then you have Aurora in Alberta. You have Kronos is out there. Peace Naturals is part of Kronos. You have um, in Ontario, you, know, you have Afria. You have Tweed, uh, Bedrocan, and Metro, which are owned by Canopy Growth as well as is Tweed. And then you go to the French-speaking province, Quebec. Uh, geez, there's one or two there, and I just honestly cannot think of what they are right now. And then as you move to the East Coast, you have Organogram, which is a really interesting one. They oh actually God. have a... Yeah, they used to be certified organic. They lost that uh, you know, designation recently to some pesticides. They'll probably get it back. But the New Brunswick government itself it helps. It's like a partner, if you will. There's payroll subsidies to encourage um, employment with them. They're helping them, with, you know, they're helping them in other ways, uh, payroll tax, uh, leniencies. They've partnered with the university in New Brunswick. Um, so it's pretty exciting. And they're not the only one. You see a lot of these uh, licensed producers partnering with universities for medical research, whether it's on multiple sclerosis, um, whether it's on epilepsy. Uh, a sick kids hospital, you know, Toronto Sick Kids Hospital is a world-class, world-known institution, and they have a large epilepsy, child epilepsy project going on right now uh, with Tilray, I believe, with respect to um, you know, using cannabinoids. And as I tell you, Canada is actually very exciting. Um, Mike Dixon, he's a professor at the University of Guelph, if you Googled his name, he is NASA. He has been commissioned to develop technology which allows for the growing of fruits and vegetables, not on Earth. What? And a, and a licensed producer called Abcan, which is in Ontario, well, they have a relationship with the University of Guelph to mimic that technology in the cannabis sector. So on the medical side, in theory you would always get consistent, reliable crop after crop after crop. Huh. And it's very exciting, very pioneering. By doing, it's just, growing how? Pardon me? How are you saying by growing not on Earth? What do you mean by that? Outer space. 
How did it... He's been commissioned to develop technology that allows for the growing of fruits and vegetables, crop after crop after crop, in like on the on the space station and so forth. And you, you can look it up. It's not science fiction. It, it's actually fact. And they're using that same technology for the cannabis industry. So you could grow without natural sunlight. And through, you know, through splicing technology and so forth, cloning and so forth, you'll get the same THC, the same CBD, repeatable crop after crop after crop. And that's the end goal. The I mean? There's nothing from the outside no, impacting it. Right. Correct. Everything Complete is- controlled environment. And, and on the medical side, that might that be... that Damon movie? I think they watched that match in the movie. Yeah, maybe. It was, but he grew stuff in poop. Come on. It's outer space. Hey, I'm just saying, you can look it up, University of Guelph. But, That's um, interesting. Oh, it is. And because on the, on the medical side, I think you need almost that near pinpoint dosing for some people. They need whatever it is, CBD of 13 and THC of 10, whatever it is. And at least it'll be consistent. On the recreational side, I think you'll see a range. You know, yeah, which makes sense. On the recreational side, it can be arranged. People are looking oh, for an course. effect. On the medical side, they're looking for a specific dose. dose. So Absolutely. So, makes sense. So, yeah, so going back to Canada and the, the provinces, what makes it even more challenging, of course, is this is where you think you'd get excited. If, de- if demand will outstrip supply, well, you know what happens. You raise the price and... and Companies do more, shareholders do better, and then over time, of course, more supply comes on board. The problem is the federal government, although it's let the provinces set the prices, the federal government has said the price all in after any taxes, fees, licensing costs, needs to be lower than the average black market cost in order order to squeeze out the black market. So now you have a shortage of supply with a price ceiling. So you can almost figure out the maximum revenues of any company. And, and that's what becomes kind of tricky from the supply-demand side. And as an investor, that's a challenge. You can look at all the cash flows these companies are making money. But now you know there's an upper limit on the revenue they can make within Canada, at least in the foreseeable future. And that's why I think you see a lot of these companies looking at Germany. Because the German medical market, which covers benefits, your benefits will cover your medical marijuana prescription, they have to import their medical marijuana, and right now Canada is the the leader in it for exporting Germany. Say. Yeah, and, and then you look at the price of marijuana world, in Germany. It's pardon me. You guys are trying to be the world leader, which is pretty impressive. Well, yeah, and you look at the price in Germany. So in Canada, these companies are producing it for you know under under a few dollars a gram, whatever it costs to export to Germany. I'm not sure, but whatever that cost is. But in Germany, these you know the product sells for in excess of twenty euros a gram. Wow. So if you can produce for three, ship it, and sell it for twenty euros, which would be around thirty-two Canadian dollars. So you can work with that. No, it's nice. You know, it's, it's quite it's quite the markup. It is. And that's what translates. Um, you know, hopefully, all Canadian companies will be expanding their revenue base. And then you get into ancillary companies. Um, I don't want there's one called Namaste Technologies, and they're actually the world's largest uh, e-retailer vaporizers. Okay. And it's a, it's a company that fascinates me in a way because if you look right now online, I think their market cap's around $27 million. They're making about a million and a half a month in revenue, just starting to. But that's, you know, that's where it is the last few months consistently growing. 
revenue is growing month over month. Market cap's at $27 million. So you have $17 million annualized revenue. Even if it's static, no more growth. They're a late-stage medical marijuana license distributor, re- re- seller, the dealer license, they call it. So they can't grow, but they can sell it. So they can buy wholesale from others and then sell it. They're a late-stage applicant for that, and they just received the Health Canada certification that the devices meet the Health Canada standard for you know, medical marijuana vaporizing. And it's one that absolutely fascinates me because not often you see a company that's making money where its annualized revenue is two-thirds of its market cap. It, it's, I think it's, it's one to watch. I don't know how it's going to do, but it's absolutely fascinating. And that's Namaste Look, Technologies. Yeah. Namaste Technologies. I wrote that down. That is a good one. So when you as an investor are doing your due diligence and you're looking at these Canadian companies, knowing the uh you know, knowing the infrastructure of Canada the way you know it, what's most important to you that US investors might not understand being your brothers from the South? Well there's, there's okay, okay, there's a few things. Obviously, you know, listen to Hadley Ford, he's absolutely right. Invest in management. It's just like know your client. Yes. What's, and then from Most there, of course, look at the, you look at yeah, you look at the debt structure, the capital structure, how many shares are outstanding. If two companies both need to raise ten million dollars, and one has forty million shares outstanding, one has three hundred million shares outstanding, you know what's you know you know the dilution that's coming. So you look at that. What what might be unique to Canada that even a lot of Canadian investors don't realize is you look at the income statement. We have something called biological asset valuation. What, this, what that means is our medical marijuana license, well, they're, they're plants. So our producers are still governed by agricultural accounting. Okay. So when you plant seeds, it really has no value. But they know in agriculture, the end product has value. So as plants grow, apples, pears, carrots, marijuana, as it grows, a value starts to accumulate towards the end product. So they can actually record as revenue the sale, you know, the expected revenue at the final sale. So you look at a lot of these companies, and you, you see these revenue numbers, but they're accounting revenue numbers. Ah. Yeah. They're, it doesn't mean they won't translate in the sales. No. But in this industry, they probably will, but it's not a real number. And so a lot of people get tripped up by that. So that's an interesting nuance. Unlike um, there, obviously, these Canadian companies can full tax rights full tax write-off rights, full banking rights. Uh, and a lot of them, like I answered, um, well, one of the articles I wrote, I think in April, I was talking about ways to invest in the States. And I, and I actually did mention Iantis as a, you know, as a great way to do it. So sure. it was fantastic yeah. to listen to Hadley Ford first. Yeah, it was fantastic to listen to him. Uh, very educated, very smart man, knows the industry, no doubt about it. Yep. Yeah, and then we also have, um, we have two mutual funds up here actually full-blown mutual funds, one's the UIT uh, opportunities. It goes into the symbol RAM420, and there's one called Cannabis Life Sciences, which is only open to uh, accredited investors right now. And then I guess lastly, we have the world's first and possibly only right now ETF. Yes, I saw that. And the, the ticker is HMMJ. And what's neat about HMMJ is they actually own a number of American companies in it. They have Scott, they have Zynerba, they have Insys. I think that's how you pronounce it. They have Insys. Yep. And uh, I think that they had Kara. Then, of course, they have all the top Canadian ones, you know, Canopy, Aurora, Organogram, Kronos, Emblem, and so forth. And uh, they have one called International Cannabis Corporation. It's another Canadian one. Well, they're in, they're in Uruguay. They, got, they have a government license to produce and sell in Uruguay. And that's International Cannabis Corporation. So it, it's really 
it's fascinating, it's dynamic, and it's really hard to keep keep on top of. And, you know, one of the things I said about this industry was that uh, you got to think of it as an ecosystem. It's like a living ecosystem. Yeah. Threats, what opportunities, is- growing, it get wiped out. It could be sharks attacking it, like whatever you want to call it. And then, of course, you have stock promoters and those kind of people coming from different angles, trying to, you know, manipulate the shares, trying to get you off a position onto another position. You know, the old, you know, you know, you know how they work, especially in the OTC markets. Of course. You know, then you have, you have fund managers from other sectors who just keep writing about how bad this sector is because, of course, they don't want to see their clients channeling money, you know, to another sector. You, and, you know how many pissed off financial advisors there's probably been in the United States in the last year as all their clients come to them and go, I want to invest in pot. It's going to be the next big thing. So, well, and it's the same here, probably 10 times that number. Because Hadley pointed out, you know, we're, we're several years ahead of you, you know, just on the medical side, let alone the recreational side. And you know, there's, there's no real – and uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. But – yeah, they're you know they're losing all these clients to this industry, and a lot of them won't touch this industry because even in Canada, if you look, if you think about it, technically it is not legal here federally, other than for medical reasons. It will be legal, but it's not right now. So a lot of institutional investors and you know some of these other funds won't touch it because any any stock price value, market cap, I guess, what do you want to how we want to refer to it, may have been reached. On the medical side, everything else is speculating based on what should happen. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that big money just won't move to it yet. And much like Hadley said, I think if you invest now, especially if you can get into like, you know, private placements and bought deals, you know, pre IPO, there's still a few of them out there. We have a number of licensed producers that don't trade yet. And, you know, you can look them up on Health Canada's website and you can actually go to their website. It says, you know, investors, contact here. And you get on a waiting list for private placements. And, you know, we have some crowdfunding here, as you do in the States. You had HelloMD and a few others. And we have one called True Leaf Medicine. And uh, I think they're one of the world's largest pet, pet hemp producers, which I think is a huge sector, too. No one really talks about the animal care sector. And I believe that's going to be a very large Well, we already opportunity. know people yeah. will pay anything for their kids and their pets. So oh, absolutely. absolutely. Cannabis, cannabis can help. Cats and dogs, people are going to pay bucks for it. So, oh no, yeah, my very first article in America, in the American magazine, last uh, over a year ago, I think the the number out of the uh, America was that the average American with a pet spends around eighteen hundred U.S. a year, non-veterinarian. Yeah. So that's on food, treats, booties. What I mean, I don't know what they spend it on. So if you're going to spend eighteen hundred, you're going to spend twenty four hundred if you think or believe or it proves to be true. Alternative medicines, including cannabis, hemp, will you know enhance your pet's life and longevity. Of course, you're going to do it. It's, they're part of the yep. family, and yep. it's an untapped market. And you know, we have a canopy growth. They've caught on to it. They have a, a, a subsidiary called Canopy Health Innovations. Yeah, Health Innovations, and within that company, the subsidiary is a division dedicated to animal care. And and Afria is doing the same, I believe. And I think these companies recognize. That's a huge untapped market. It, well, you know, it, it touches. It's also going to be easier to get people to go. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll try that on my dog. You know, of especially course. the CBD products. Okay, 
I've tried that. I don't give that to my kids or myself. I don't know if I'll take that, but yeah, if it'll help my dog, yes, I'll give that to him. Oh no, absolutely. And you know, A, it has the benefits, and B, you hate to say it, but seeing how it affects pets helps medical, you know, scientists and doctors see how it may affect humans. Yep. So you hate, you know, you hate to go there, but obviously that's one thing that may come out of this. Is look, the dog lived longer than it's supposed to with whatever ailment it had. The cat hard to get arthritis, you know. Hard to get a placebo yeah. effect too when you're with pets. You're going to know what it does for your pets. Absolutely. There's no placebo effect. It works or it doesn't. It's that, they been, don't know what you I've been saying that, Lewis, for like the last six months to a year, saying CBD products and pets is the next, like, uh, you know, since 2014, there's been these little niche markets where you see all of these companies, especially U.S. companies in the OTC, move towards where all of a sudden everybody was going to teach people how to, uh, you know, process from seed to sale. Then everybody was pushing that they were going to be the next CBD company. And I was saying the whole time, pets, pets, where the next, uh, you know, next group has to go because it really is an untapped market everywhere. Oh, sure. And, you know, and one thing that's inevitable and you, it's, you know, it's called the consolidation curve, and every industry has to go through it. And that's, you know, you have all kinds of startups, most will fail, lots of, you know, I'm not gonna, I guess fraud's the right word, but at least schemes, scams, whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's just a painful part of the industry. And then you go yeah. through the merger and acquisition stage. Right. Then you go through the merger and acquisition stage, which you get into, you know, what Hadley referred to as, you know, the economic term oligopoly, and there's barriers to entry, and it's, you know, it becomes very expensive. More so because now you're, you know, you're starting to start your own licensed producer. You're starting to start your own. You don't have economies of scale, and you're up against canopy growth and Aurora and Afria. And you know, how do you do that? And then, of course, the industry matures, and then you get niche players. You know, it's just a curve. And you know, in Canada right now, it's probably well it depends what subsector you look at. But you know, obviously, in the licensed producer side, yeah, probably close to an oligopoly. You may have several producers, but there's only a handful that control the market. The top yeah. five probably have two-thirds of the medical market, if not more. I think canopy growth itself is probably around 45 50% with all of its various holdings. You know, they're, the largest, they're the largest producer with the largest client base before they bought the number two company, Metrum, in December, and they've yeah. only expanded since then. So canopy growth is probably, you know, you know, 40 something percent just on their own. And then the rest are probably the next two, four or five are probably around, you know, 10, 15 percent, I would guess. Then the other 45 are fighting over the, the other 40 percent. Scraps. They're all fighting so you get for all scraps. Across, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you have an oligopoly environment forming. And then, you know, and then you have all these new applicants, which are probably you know, all forming joint ventures. They're, they're going off into the pet industry. They're going off into technology, if you will. Then you have non-sector companies. Um, one's called Delivera. You know, it's like you know a Bengay cream, if you will, but it's Canada's number one selling you know, muscle pain cream, and they've uh, entered uh, an agreement with uh, Canopy Growth again to develop creams, you know, hmm. with CBD. And there's all different ways you can uh, you know you can play the market, if you will. And I don't mean that in the, the literal sense, but you can enter different sectors. You can look at companies that you know, don't touch the plant. They simply provide turnkey operations. Here's the building. We'll rent it out to you. You know, you have those in Washington. Come on in. You know, we'll do everything for you. You know, we'll, you, know you rent the space, but we provide the security. We provide the proper environment. We, you know, um, 
you can buy you know, lights, whether in the States, Heliospectra, or in Canada, I guess it's Future Farms Technology, their lights won the Cannabis Cup recently. So it's all different angles. You know, and, and I think it's just, it's just a, sorry, my passion kind of comes out. I'm very excited. I about like the industry. it, dude. Well, as soon as I start talking about it, I can't stop, right? Because the accountant in me gets kind of pushed aside, and the little kid comes out. <laughs> All right. But, when, you talk about when you talk about what you enjoy talking about. So tell us what makes your magazine different. Like, why should people subscribe to this over any other publications they can read about cannabis in Canada? Well, Okay, um, I think that's an easy first time. I love the magazine. Obviously, I wouldn't write for it, and I wouldn't be the managing editor of it. The, um, well, as, you, as we talked about earlier, we're not paid. We're not paid promoters. That is we don't write huge. editorials. And I think that, that's a huge difference right there. That is huge. Right. That, that is a big difference. It's hard to rely on what you're reading when you know the person who's writing it either financially benefits from it now or could financially benefit from it in the future, then it's hard to be unbiased where. Well, and yeah, and it, you know, it bursts my balloon. If you want, I read an article written by someone else and I go, this is really good stuff. And at the bottom, this company is a client of, or whatever term okay. they want to use paid sponsor. And I'm like, Oh, and they're I have so much for that article. Remember this. <laughs> right. And, the things I do like about it is that, well, obviously it's free to subscribe to, so it's great for, yeah, you know, so nothing, you nothing like upsets me more than when people pay, when people pay for these newsletters, and I'll be honest all it is, retyping old news. That's all it is. So it's like, well, that's what made where's me the think, value? That's what made me think you guys had to be like paid uh, articles because how are you making money if it's free to sign up for? Uh, well, the, no, the, there's, there's advertisement, and it's all paid by the people that advertise. But they just simply buy advertising space. Understood. They don't tell us to write about them. They don't. And tell it's us not the it's, same people that you're writing about that are then buying oh, no. the advertising no. space. That's so someone people. that writes an article, um, like uh, we have two lawyers that write, uh, Matt uh, Meyer and uh, Whitney Abrams. Well, we, you know, we let them have an ad for their law firm. That's fair. Well, right. that's not the same. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not. It's not yeah. quite where you're going, but it's a little, little, little yeah. perk for them. Their law firm gets an ad. Right. They're not writing something in the article based on getting that ad. That's different. Correct. No. Oh no. Correct. They're usually writing about the industry, and the, the ad's just for them. Like, there's no cause and effect, right? It's not like me writing really? about my company. I don't have a company. I'm not writing about my company. There's an ad for my company, right? Love it. Lewis, you've been really uh, a nice, uh, warm welcome from up north. So I would love <laughs> to have Lewis Chiron. Am I saying that right now? Because I know I messed it up at first. Is it pronounced uh, Chiron? Well, it's actually Louis Chiron, but I'll go by Lewis, okay. no problem. I'll take Louis. I like Louis better. Okay. That sounds cooler. So Louis Chiron, CannaInvestorMag.ca. Check him out. It really is a cool online magazine. Can you also get that in print, or is that just online? It's online, but you can order it in print. There is a cost, but it says right there, if you want to order it in print one-off, there is a cost. And Fair. I think once the issue is more than a few months old, it's then downloadable as a PDF once a few months have gone by. Very cool. And I saw you uh, – I thought it was really cool that you – Put one article to your father who re, or one magazine was dedicated to your father who recently passed. So I think that's yeah, valid. Uh, I would like yeah, to was, dedicate your appearance on Potstock Radio to your pop's passing as well. So well, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, sorry to hear. Yeah, it was sorry tough. To hear I mean, you know, that's... dealing well and uh, moving on to 
invest uh, investors and what they need to know about cannabis. So from positive or from negative to positive, and I just thought it was cool that you did that. So I thought it was worth throwing out there. Well, thank for you. you. I appreciate that. All right, All right. So Lewis, tell people they just go to Canna CannaInvestorMag.ca. It's that Correct. easy. You go there. It's that easy. You scroll down. On. You click whatever issue you want to subscribe to. You type in your email, and you're now subscribing. You, we don't spam. We don't, you know, we don't do any of that stuff. So it's a nice, clean subscription, and you can unsubscribe whenever you want. So now that I did that once a month, I'm automatically going to get your next magazine, or do I have to go back to the site each month to say, nope, I want to well, get that? You'll, you'll get a, you get an email saying it's out. And you just click it, it takes you right to the site. Can't beat that. It takes you right to that issue, I should say, right to the issue. It's easy. That's how I read one today online. I read the uh, one of the magazine article or one of the magazines that you put up, and that was the one that was your dad. So cool. Oh, looking, forward, looking forward to more, man. I appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, one last question for you. Oh, I of saw course. on the American side – there yep. was a uh, what was it called? Black MJ magazine. So are yeah. you hearing all of those in Canada? Is there a Black MJ magazine ca? Well, not yet. You never know what they're going to do. What they might do. Like the the family right now consists of the CanadaInvestorMag.com ca, right. Black Marijuana magazine, Canada Consumer, no. and then we released just today Canada Healthcare, and like that. I would exactly. This came out today, and for the medical community. And again, if I was an investor, these are free. I would subscribe to them all because you might read something in Canada Healthcare and say, "Wait, these something doctors different. are recommending this technology. It's showing positive." And then you can Google what companies are in this, you know, are in this this product, this this technique. And same with Canada Consumer. You can see all this feedback that you know, all this people are buying whatever product. And you can Google who makes this product, where is it available, and you can look at that as an investment. And in the fall, we have Canada Chef coming out, cooking. You know, right cool. now, those are all American magazines other than the Canadian version of Canada Investor Mag, but you never know what might happen. But if I, I was can't. an investor, and I'm not just saying to plug the magazine, the guy, I would honestly look at all of them because you never know what you might learn from each one and apply it to your investing. Yep. It's all part of due diligence. Read as much as you can from all the different angles to get as much information as possible. So, and that's right. one thing I emphasize. Yeah, I emphasize that every month. I say due diligence, due diligence, due diligence. There's no shortcuts. If you want to rely on newsletters, you want to rely on bar charts. You know, bar charts on those websites, stock com, and all that stuff. They're fine. Technical analysis is good, but don't rely on it as your sole source. Yeah. Nice you know, we, we give you a list to look culture. at. Yeah. yeah. We are on the same page. So check him out. Uh, by the way, on Twitter, he's at Lewis, L O U I S, Chiron, K Y R O N. And then Perfect. check out. Yep. All right. Check him out. CanaInvestorMag.ca. Louis, look forward to having you back on Potstock Radio in the future. I look forward to it too. Thank you for so much. All right, man. Have take, a good night. Take care. You too. All right, pretty cool. So we had two good guests tonight. I wish we would have got a little bit more of cryptocurrency in there for Sweeney because I really do (laughs) think uh, it's something that interests me more than it interests the world right now. I think everybody's sleeping on cryptocurrency. It's one of those things that's so misunderstood that people just decide not to pay attention to it. 
think that here in the U.S. too, absolutely. It's amazing when you leave this country how much people in Europe, how much people in China are learning about it, focusing yep. on it, buying it. I mean, uh, right now, South Korea is the highest trader in Bitcoin. The mm. South Korean won and Bitcoin are the highest two uh, currency pairs that you can trade. Why is that? They're huge into the technology. Now, they, they have to, I guess, continue to innovate over there because of the looming threat north of them that they consistently invest in everything. I mean, they're second or third right now in technology exports, too. I mean, you've got some of the biggest car companies and tech companies out of South Korea. You know, I mean, Panasonic, I think, is there. Um, you've got Kia. You've got a bunch of other car companies that are smaller there. But that and the parts, you know, they, they look at digital trends as the, the future. I mean, everything is turning over into the blockchain technology. If you can yeah. do it on the Internet and it won't lie to you versus trusting a human, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. All except voting for our president somehow. Well, That's the only thing. We can't trust that. We can yeah. bank online, everything, but no, but we can't. They like 33% showing up to the polls. They don't want right. you know, all 100% having the option to get a so, vote. So knowing you, you follow crypto, others that you yeah. believe in, Litecoin, the other so, yeah, one? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I look at a lot. I mean, personally, I own probably 14 or 15 different cryptocurrencies. Wow, right holy now. shit. Yeah. Okay. I, I've been doing it for about a year and a half now. So I, I, you know, I really try to diversify. I mean, when I was younger, my grandfather was big into stocks. There was no you know, crypto world back then. Yeah. So, you know, he told me the days when he missed out on Apple and he got an opportunity and he got, a, you know, insider trading information on McDonald's. Yeah. He never took the move on them. So I was like, you know what, if these things are pennies now, let me just put 10 bucks, 100 bucks. And right, here. Right. And, you know, a year ago, that's already I've more than quadrupled what I put in. Yeah. And it's, Any of them gone the other way? Like, do you... so, oh, yeah. I, you know, it, it goes both ways. I mean, one of the worst mistakes I made was I back when Ethereum, which is now valued about over $200 a piece, yeah. I was buying it when it was $6 a piece. Mm -hmm. And I traded 50 Ethereum for half a Bitcoin. Now that same 50 Ethereum is worth over $10,000. Wow. Half of Bitcoin is only worth, you know, 1200 right now. Sure. So, you know, you kick yourself for the little things you do, but it's a learning. By the way, that. but you still made like. Oh, in the long run, I still view it as a win. Very, yeah, you can't get mad when you make profit. That's, exactly. So like, you know, losing out on $10,000 isn't as bad because you made 40000 you know, so it's, you know, and I look towards the future. I mean, right now, it's still young. I mean, we started in 2008. Infancy. Just start, absolutely. I mean, 2011 and got value. We're only 2017. Yep. It's only been six years since somebody spent almost 10,000 Bitcoin on two pizzas. I, I heard it happen. I listened yeah. to Laszlo I do it <laughs> on the radio. It was, yeah, and somehow I still went, yeah, this isn't going to turn into something huge. Yep. And it took me a year to, of research. I mean, I heard about it when I was in sophomore year of high school. It was worth about a dollar a piece. I was like, oh, whatever. You know. If you listen to the Milo Antonopoulos guy, you yeah, know who he is? Yeah, when you listen absolutely. to him, it's, he really makes you understand that this is here to stay. Just like cannabis, yeah. it's a ball rolling downhill. Yeah. A snowball of cryptocurrency is already starting yeah. to and make it, an avalanche. You know, it's coming. And just like the penny stocks, it's just as easy to invest. You know, you put a little bit of money into the markets, and it's just like, you know, TD Ameritrade or one of the more basic apps like uh, Robinhood that yeah. the kids may be more familiar with. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, Sweeney, welcome to Potstock Radio, man. Hope yeah. to have you back again. Really enjoyed having yeah, you. KD, 
Nick, as always, good to have you here. And also, uh, back to the Potstock Radio Magic Butter giveaway. Yes. Uh, we have that promotion code, too. Oh, yeah. So, promotion code is Potstock. If you go to Magical Butter and order a Magical Butter machine, if you don't want to wait to get one for free and you just want to get one now, all you got to do is go to MagicalButter.com, put in the code when you're ordering Potstock, and you will get $30 off your order. I would tell you do that, hang on to it, sign up to try and win one for free, and then you might be able to gift one or have two of them. You can never right. have too much mag- magical butter. <laughs> one doing tincture while the other is doing oil. And remember, all you have to do is sign up for any of our social media, buy my book. It's called Buying High on Amazon. I'll put the link up on Twitter and Facebook. 99 cents, sign up for social media, send an email to Eric at Potstock Radio. I will check you out, confirm, and we will be giving away the Magical Butter Live on our September show. So you've got a little bit of time to do this, but don't wait. Get signed up now and uh, win your Magical Butter machine. All right, we'll be back next month. We've got our next show is, I believe it is August 7th. I will put out a link to it. Will be some really good guests that I'm not going to let out now because I have to get them confirmed and time set. But get ready for another awesome episode of Potstock Radio and uh, keep you in the loop on how we're doing, how many people we have registered to win our magical butter machine. All right. We will see you next week or next month. Have a good green month in trading and talk to everybody then. Happy 710. Hey, happy 710. 710. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we didn't even met. Loyal to the oil, man. What? <laughs> There's a new holiday I missed? Yeah, wait, we've got yeah. four minutes left before yeah, I end this show. We got to that out. There you go. 710, King 10. <laughs> 420, <laughs> no, I mean the second. 420's about the flower. Yeah. 710 is about the oil. Yeah, you put no. the word, you get 710. What's that spell? Oil. oil. I <laughs> love it. I am now celebrating 710. I've got two holidays. Two cannabis holidays to follow. All right. We are ending and celebrating 710. You guys have a good one. Talk to you next month. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. And that's how she wrote. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... 
Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.